It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are here with some Locked On crossover content. Corbin Smith from Locked On Seahawks, Brandon Olson from Locked On Gators here to talk about that connection between the Seattle Seahawks and Florida Gators in the NFL Draft. Today's bonus episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts. All right, Corbin. So we're we're talking about this this connection between the Seattle Seahawks and the Florida Gators in the draft. You know, the past two years, you guys have selected Florida Gators, Freddie Swain, the receiver, and Stone Forsythe, the tackle. And if you don't mind, I want to start with Freddie Swain because he's someone who as a Gator fan and someone that covers the Gators, I did not think he was getting drafted at all. So how was that pick kind of perceived initially? And I mean, I think it's been great value to this point. Yeah, I was surprised that he got picked because I didn't have him on the radar. He certainly was not on my big board for receivers that might interest the Seahawks, but his special teams value was immediately what jumped out to me. And I thought, okay, there's your kick and punt returner for the future. And then he came in and had a really solid rookie season where he contributed quite a bit as a fourth receiver. And then last year, he pretty much doubled all of his numbers across the board. He had a couple big plays that were generated against busted coverages, but not going to hold that against him. He has been far better than I think most anticipated as a sixth-round pick. He's given him some special teams contributions as well. And I think going into his third season – there's always the opportunity for him to be the number three receiver. They drafted D. Eskridge to be that guy, but Freddie Swain has surpassed all expectations at this point and seems to be a coach's favorite as well. Yeah, he he's someone that I, I loved in college, and I was like, yeah, he might be a special team guy, but did not expect the draft. He exceeded, and it was fun because during the season, I would do these weekly little roundups on Florida Gators in the NFL and what, what their pace were for receiving yards and everything. And I was like, Freddie Swain's putting together a nice little, a nice little campaign at certain times. Cause he would, like you mentioned, he would have a big play against busted coverage and kind of boosts his numbers a little bit. Um, and then he's someone that I really, I do hope that he picks it up this year even further and kind of becomes more of an offensive contributor. And then last year, you guys also drafted Stone Forsyth, who I was a big fan of. I know that, he was told before the draft, he's like, look, like you're going to be a, a early day three pick is what he was personally told. Uh, obviously, that's not how it happened. But is there any chance that Gators fans get to see him step on the field this year? Well, if the Seahawks had a game next week, he'd be starting at left tackle because they didn't re-sign Dwayne Brown, at least to this point. It sounds like they're still kind of in on that, potentially bringing him back. But right now they have three tackles on the roster as a whole, and only one of those three tackles has started more than five games in the NFL. They only have one player with more than 15 offensive snaps to his name at the position. Now I anticipate they're going to be aggressive in the draft looking for tackles. They may still add somebody again, Dwayne Brown. They have been in discussions with him. They've kept that door open for him to come back for another season. But right now, Foresight to be the starter at left tackle. And I think there is optimism within the organization that he can be that guy. He just came in last year with Dwayne Brown in front of him and was a bit raw. They weren't ready to throw him to the Wolves. I thought he played really well in the limited snaps he had against the 49ers, had several blocks against Nick Bosa, and held up well. Very small sample size, but reason to be encouraged. So it's possible that he could be the starter at left tackle next season. I think they need to bring somebody in for him to compete against. 
if Dwayne Brown comes back, then he wouldn't be the starter just yet. But it looks like the Seahawks still view him as a potential starter as the blindside protector. Yeah, he's someone I really liked when he was coming out of the draft. I was I, I was a big fan of his. I thought he would get drafted earlier. I bought into it. I was like, look, at that size, power, all, all that. Like, I think he'd be a great fit with some NFL teams. But uh, we're, we're going to backtrack a little bit. And by a little bit, I mean, I mean a lot. We're going to backtrack to before I was born by talking about uh, arguably the greatest Seahawks Gators pick. We were talking about this before with John Williams. Uh, just, just tell me a little bit about him and, and just what he means to the Seahawks back then. So John Williams, a good chunk of his career happened before I was born, but I did have the privilege when I was four or five years old, when I was first starting to watch the Seahawks that I got to see him play the tail end of his career. And since then I've gone back and I've watched a ton of games from the eighties and you don't see fullbacks get drafted anymore, let alone get picked in the first round. But that's the era we're talking about, 1986. Such a dynamic player. He was that rare fullback that could do a little bit of everything. You could run the football with him. He was an outstanding receiver out of the backfield, catching swing routes. And I think in today's game, he probably would have been considered a tailback because of that very versatile skill set, a lot of third down value. So he was kind of that fullback that was ahead of his time at the same time playing a position that eventually was going to become archaic. So he's one of my favorite Seahawks ever and an exciting player that brought a lot of different tools to the game. Yeah, he's someone that I, I never got to watch. I mean, his career ended the year that I was born. But uh, he, like just looking at him, you know, 74 tar uh, catches for a fullback is unheard of like we talk about sorry to bring them up but your rivals the 49ers we talk about their usage with Kyle Juszczyk and we're like oh this is this is this is brand new that a, a fullback is used this often but I mean John Williams was one of those guys who as a runner and a receiver saw consistent uh touches and that was just that's something that we will hopefully see again I don't know about you I'm, I'm a big fullbacks guy uh fullbacks are one of my favorite positions along the offense so I, I love them and hopefully We'll see it again. And you guys also had, you saw that graphic that you posted up with Jay Howard, the defensive tackle. Uh, didn't really work out. And I know you guys were talking about the past few weeks. You're like, oh, the, the best Seahawks drafts and the worst Seahawks drafts. He's someone who didn't really work out with the Seahawks at all. But, you know, he went to the Chiefs and had a solid couple of runs, I guess I'll say there. Yeah, Jay Howard, actually, I think if he would have been drafted a couple years later, probably would have panned out in Seattle. But he ended up on a defensive line. This is when they were getting ready to go to the Super Bowl. He was in Russell Wilson's draft class. They had Clinton McDonald. They had Tony McDaniel, Brandon Meebane. They were stacked in their interior defensive line. And so that was just a case where the Seahawks liked him. There just wasn't a place on the roster for him. He got cut. Ended up figuring things out. Had a decent career for a few years in Kansas City. I think he played for the Bears briefly uh, before his career came to a close. But that's one of those cases where it was a player drafted in the middle rounds that had some upside. And unfortunately, they just didn't have anywhere on the roster to keep him. He wasn't going to be contained on the practice squad either. Too many other teams had interest. And that happens. Sometimes you just don't have things work out. We're going to move from the past to the future because the Florida Gators have a number of players that I think would interest the Seattle Seahawks looking for some intel on a few of those players. This extra bonus NFL college crossover is brought to you by Built Bar. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you are missing out 100% chocolate. 
It's basically a protein-infused marshmallow, amazing flavors like banana cream pie. And they come in under 200 calories with 17 grams of protein. Regular Built Bars have amazing flavors as well, such as peanut butter brownie, my personal favorite. Make sure to check out the Built.com website and enter in the code LOCK15 for 15% off your next order. All right, let's go to the present now, Brandon. I'm Corbett Smith for Locked on Seahawks, joined by Brandon Olson of Locked on Gators. Let's talk the 2022 NFL Draft because as we just mentioned a few moments ago, the Seahawks have had a history of drafting Florida players. They've picked a Gator each of the last two seasons. They've picked three of them during the Pete Carroll, John Schneider era. And there are some really intriguing Gators coming into this draft. A couple of guys that could go as early as the first round. I think we got to start in the secondary with Kair Elam because I know he's a player that has the size, length, athleticism, has some ball skills. The Seahawks lost DJ Reed. Could you see him being a potentially good fit in Pete Carroll's secondary? Absolutely. You know, Kyrie Elam is one of those guys where I just say he, he's someone who, if you can find a role for him on the defense, you get him in there. And, and he's one of those guys where I think he could fit in any scheme. He's scheme versatile. I know a lot of people, when they talk about Kyrie Elam, they go, yeah, he, he's this press man corner. Um, I, I think that that's kind of dumbing it down a little bit. I, I think he's much more broad than that in his skill set. You know, even that Florida <laughs> defensive staff was not great down there, but he was able to work in a lot of cover one, cover three. He worked match coverage, Mabel. He, he did so many things as the corner one that when he was healthy, he was nothing short of dominant. And like, I know people talk about the Alabama game because you, you look at PFF and you see that he got charged with some of those receiving yards and a touchdown, but you watch the play and, I mean, I, it was a pick play that happened, and we see that happens all the time. But he's someone who I think at every level can be dominant if you just give him a little bit of time. I think he can step in and start right away, but I don't think you expect him to be your corner one off the bat. But he's, like you mentioned, he's got all the tools. He's got the size. He's got the length. He's got the speed. He's got everything you can ask for. He's got an NFL pedigree. His dad played in the NFL Abram Elam, his cousin is Matt Elam, who was a former first-round pick with the Ravens. And Kyrie Elam is, I mean, I don't know, I don't even know what happened to him. He was someone who, before the season, people were like, oh, he, he could be corner one. And then not, nothing changed between him, and they were like, oh, I don't know anymore what he is. But he he's working his way into the first round again, and I think that the biggest question with him that some people had was his long speed. He went to the combine and put up a 4-3-9-40, and I'm not someone that, puts a ton of stock in those, but if you have a long speed question and he runs a 439, I think he answers that question. And in the backfield, this is the player that I know from a personal standpoint has had a lot of communication with the Seahawks because I talked to Damian Pierce at the combine and he made it clear that Seattle and him have discussed some things multiple times. They've had multiple meetings and you look at the body of work, never was the feature guy in Florida, which watching the film, I'm just mind blown why that was never the case. Because to me, he's one of the most impressive backs in this class. And from a Seahawks standpoint, they like those short, stocky, powerful, between the tackle runners that are looking to destroy defenders' face masks. And that is exactly what Damian Pierce brings to the table. I can't think of a back in this draft, actually, that I think fits what Seattle's mold at running back is more than what Damian Pierce does. Yeah, Damian Pierce, uh, you know, you you just said that you don't know why he didn't get more time. And I'll let you in as a secret. Uh, 
as a Gators fan and Gators reporter, I also don't know why he didn't get more time in the back, why he was never the featured back. He's someone who, for much of his college career, didn't have a game with eight carries or more in a game. It was just ridiculous, but he's someone who, I, I try to liken him not to Marshawn Lynch, but that Marshawn Lynch video where they ask him about his running style and he's just like, you run through a dude's face, you run through a dude's face, you run through a dude's face. And eventually they realize they don't want to have you run through their face anymore. And that's Damian Pierce. And he's got way more, uh, not wiggle, but he, he's got ability as a receiver where he can get out there in the backfield, kind of shake shake a linebacker here and there. And, and he's just, I think, the best pass-protecting running back in the draft. And that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons that I really love him because – if you're a running back, I don't need you to pass protect, but if you can, I love you. And that's a Damian Pierce. He's just, he's someone who you watch on Saturdays and he's not getting enough touches. And you're just like, he he's going to be an NFL running back without a doubt in my mind. And I would look at this as a positive. Your team like the Seahawks, that's looking for a feature back that can be the workhorse because he doesn't have the wear and tear on his legs that a lot of the other top running backs coming in this class do. But I've just been blown away by the film and, being a former running back coach myself, again, I'm just scratching my bald head like, why is this guy not getting 20 touches a game with his talents and his skills? And you mentioned the pass protection. That's another thing that jumped out to me as well. Looking at a few other players that could make sense for the Seahawks from the University of Florida, defensive tackle Zachary Carter, and I would list him kind of as that hybrid defender He's a player that had seven and a half sacks last season. Seattle's moving to more of a 3-4. So I would think a player like him that's around 285 pounds that has played base defensive end can reduce inside to play three-tech. I would think that the direction Seattle's going right now, that that might be a player that's on their radar late on day two going into early day three. Yeah, I think with Zachary Carter, a lot of the questions just come around where do you play him? Because the NFL is still at that point where there are guys that if you don't have a set determined position, it, it could hurt you a little bit. And he's someone who is very scheme versatile. You know, you mentioned he could play, he could play inside, he could play outside, he can do whatever you need from him. And I, I think that's big because I, I just think that he's someone who, again, like, like Kyrie and like Damian Pierce, the, the coaching wasn't good at Florida. Dan Mullen, as much as I love him, did not do a good job, especially with Todd Grantham as a defensive coordinator, just did not do a good job of getting his guys in the positions that he needed to to succeed. And Zachary Carter, he's someone who you look at the power, you look at the bull rush, the pass rush playing. He's not this one trick pony, but he can get things done. And I think that it's important to have someone who, when you want to go small, he can move into D tackle, but still hold his own as a run stopper. And he can go at the end and he can still make things happen as a pass rusher. He's so scheme versatile i don't think he'll get drafted very high but i do think that he's going to outplay his draft position let's look at the rest of florida's incoming draft prospects because usually the gators have a number of guys that are picked and there are several other players that are listed in the top 250 when you look at places like draft network and the pro football network mock simulator a number of these places have five six seven gators that are in that top 250 who would be one other player that's maybe going under the radar that you could see being a good fit for a rebuilding Seahawks squad? Uh, I think we look at Jeremiah Moon. He, he's someone who I really like. He's got fantastic size. He's a great athlete. He's just been constantly hurt the past couple of years. But if, if he could put it together and get healthy, and that's another thing with Florida's previous regime is just 
they they talked so much about how the players were not properly taken care of health wise either. And Jeremiah Moon is someone who he could play edge, he could play inside linebacker, he could do both of those things. And when you look at a defense who they want to mess around with four three three four, they're transitioning, they're rebuilding. I think you just get an athlete who could play both of those spots and has experience as both of those spots. He's also got great experience with his hand in the dirt. So he's, he stood up pass rush. He's been an edge rusher with his hand in the dirt. He's played inside linebacker. He's someone who's very scheme versatile. And I don't know if he'll ever be a starter type, but I think at the very worst, you're getting a rotational defender in Jeremiah Moon who can contribute and isn't afraid to play special teams. And from what I've seen, he's most comfortable being that stand-up outside edge defender, probably in a 3-4 style scheme that the Seahawks are leaning towards. So I think late on day three, the production hasn't been there, but you can certainly see the plays on film from this kid. And so I certainly could see him being a fit late on day three for the Seahawks. Really looking forward to seeing if they make it three years in a row. Again, they picked Freddie Swain as well as Stone Forsyth the last couple of years. The Seahawks love Power 5 conference players in general. They really love SEC players. So I would bet that there's a really good chance that we're going to see another Seahawk draft pick that's going to be a former Florida Gator later this month. I'm Corbett Smith for Locked On Seahawks. Brandon Olson for Locked On Gators. Thanks for listening in to this NFL Draft crossover special. Make sure to check out both Locked On Gators and Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and of course, streaming five days a week on YouTube. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. The NCAA tournament is almost here, and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.